Good morning to everyone who are watching us online. Praise the Lord because of modern technology, we can now uh, go live and reach people even to the other side of the globe. And the pandemic cannot and will not prevent the Word of God from reaching people even if they are just at home. Today is the last Sunday for our mission month. And this morning, let's talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I believe this topic speaks about missions beyond borders and barriers. But first, let us review and understand what a parable means. Webster Dictionary defines a parable as a short story shared by Jesus in the Gospels to bring about moral and spiritual lessons. It came from the Greek word parabole, which means comparison, illustration, or analogy. Others would define it as fictitious and not true to life story that brings moral and spiritual lessons. But if you try to read all the parables and analyze it, it is more than just a story that gives moral and spiritual lessons. It's a story shared by Jesus to the Jews about himself. It is not just a story to illustrate and give moral or spiritual lessons to the audience, but a story in itself talks about himself, who he is, what he is, what he has done, and what he is going to do. He is part of the story, and he is the star of the story. He is the major character of the story, and we are the minor characters. He is the Vida, and sometimes we are the Contra Vida. He is teaching us how to live our lives and how we should live like Christ's. There are about 40 parables in the Gospels, and most, if not all, of those parables are evangelistic in nature. Its purpose is to share those who are lost and non-believers of Jesus. This morning, let me focus on our study on the parable of the Good Samaritan, found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, that was read to us earlier. Let us now dissect this parable together. Now, Jesus is speaking to a certain lawyer. Most likely, he was a scribe because apparently, he is an expert of the law. Scribes are the one that interprets the law. And this man suddenly stood up as a social courtesy, designed to show respect, but at the same time, test Jesus, indicating that there is something hypocritical about his actions. Then he started to ask Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
He is asking, what can anyone do to inherit eternal life? Most likely, he is a Pharisee and not a Sadducee because the latter does not believe in eternal life. They do not believe in resurrection, nor an angel, or a spirit. They are sad, you see. Let us first find out the belief of the Jews. Now after the exile from Babylon going back to Judah, the rabbis or teachers of the law interpret that to inherit the land is taking part in the age to come, taking part the life after death, and the inheritance becomes eternal life. Now the question is being asked is how to achieve eternal life. Now to the Jews, it was to keep the law, all the 613 laws of the Old Testament, which is known as the Torah. And not only the Ten Commandments. One teacher said by the name of Rabbi Hillel, and I quote, and he said, Those who gain for themselves the words of the Torah has gained for themselves the life of the world to come. One rabbinical saying, and it says, Great is the Torah, for it gives to them that practices, practice it, life in this world and in the world to come. Now here the lawyer expects Jesus to answer him this way. How did he expect? He expected Jesus to list the do's and the don'ts. Don't do this and don't do that. He was expecting Jesus to answer him by keeping the laws. But instead, Jesus asked him what is written in the law. Since he was an expert of the law, he immediately replied by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5 that says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And in Leviticus 19, 18 that says, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Jesus says, Keep on doing. A present imperative. He tells the lawyer, If you want to inherit eternal life with your actions, by your actions, just continually love God and your neighbor with the totality that all you are without any limitations, no line is drawn and no list is given. But you see, the lawyer was not satisfied with Jesus' answer. In verse 29, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? He wanted to test if Jesus knew his neighbor, who his neighbor is. Because to the lawyer, neighbor is based in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 to 18 that says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. 
you may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of the people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The rabbis interprets this portion of scripture that only fellow Jews are neighbors, and non-Jews or Gentiles, therefore, are not neighbor. And moreover, a Samaritan is certainly not a neighbor. Now to the lawyer, therefore a neighbor is a countryman, his kin or fellow Jews. If you're a Filipino, even if you live next door to a Jew in Jerusalem, you are not a neighbor. And then Jesus answered him in the form of the parable, starting in verse 30 of Luke. And Jesus said, A certain man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Most likely he is a Jew. Although the story did not say he was, I think it was intentionally said by Jesus as not to know his nationality. The man was traveling 17 miles northeast downhill, passing along a dangerous road, and the man fell among the robbers. He was stripped and beaten and abandoned, half dead. Then three men passed by. And who are these three men? Let me bring you to the first. The first man that passed was the priests. Now, the question is, why did Jesus use the priest as the first example? The answer is that because a priest could be a Pharisee or a Sadducee, he was talking to a scribe or lawyer. Most of the scribes are Pharisees, and the priest belongs to the upper and wealthy class. Most likely, he was writing a donkey. Now, not all priests live in Jerusalem. Perhaps some of them live in Jericho, serve two weeks in Jerusalem, and go home. Now, the priest finds himself in a dilemma. How does he know the victim is a neighbor? Because to the priest, a neighbor is somebody or someone who must be a Jew. And what was his dilemma? First dilemma of the priests. He was wondering if the man is a Jew or Gentile because a priest could not approach a Gentile. He could have shouted at a distance and asked by the accent he would know if that man was a Jew. But the man was half dead. By the clothes, the priest could identify if that man is a Jew or a Gentile, but the man was stripped off his clothes. Now, even if that man without clothes, you will still be able to identify, he would be able to identify if he is a Jew or a Gentile by looking at his private parts. 
Because if he is a Jew, he must be circumcised. But a pri as a priest, he could not do that because he has to come near the man. What if he turned out to be a Gentile? Second dilemma. Assuming he is a Jew, what if he is dead? A priest cannot approach a dead person less than two meters because he will be defiled. If he is defiled, he cannot receive tithes and he cannot give away tithes. Therefore, his family will be starving. If a priest is defiled, he has to be cleansed. And cleansing is expensive. He will need purification. And ritual purification takes place only in one place, and that is Jerusalem. Why? Because that is where the temple is. Therefore, if he touch a man and he turn out to be a Gentile or dead man, then he must return to Jerusalem to restore his purity. The process of restoring purity is costly, humiliating, and time-consuming. A week was required. And it also involves finding and buying a red heifer or a female cow and burn it into ashes. So the priest rationalized. He rationalized his actions by presuming that after all, the victim is a sinner or a Gentile and help offered to sinners might be viewed as labor against God who detests sinners. So the priest purposely passed the opposite side to avoid passing, the near, passing near the man. Now the second, the second man who passed by is a Levite. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. For you to be a priest, you must be coming from the lineage of Aaron, brother of Moses. Levites are not bound by many regulations like the priests, but his neighbor is the same like what the priests believe. Because Levite was from a poorer social class. Most likely, he was just walking. Now, a Levite was not bound by as many regulations as the priests. Had he gone closer to look at the victim beyond defilement line, even over the aid, the consequence is not as serious if he was a priest. The fear for him, the fear of defilement, might not have been the issue. The fear of being robbed might have been. And secondly, he might be rationalizing. If the priest did nothing, why should I act differently? 
Perhaps he did not want to act contrary to the interpretation of the priest about the law. Now the command not to be defiled was non-negotiable, but the command to serve a neighbor was negotiable. The priest saw and passed by. The Levite comes to the place, seizes the man, but passes by. In the very real way, the priests and Levites were victims of evil system. Now the third man who passed by was a Samaritan. Now who are the Samaritans? After King Solomon became the king of Israel, the land of Israel was divided into northern and southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. By the year 721 BC, the northern kingdom was attacked by the Assyrians. What the Assyrians did was to send all the first-class citizens away from the northern kingdom, send them to other nations, and they got people from other nations and brought them to the northern kingdom, and there was intermarriages between the Israelites who were left there and the foreigner who came in. And the offspring are now known as the Samaritans. Samaritans are Mestizo Jews. The Southern Kingdom hated them and vice versa because of racial, political, and religious reasons. The Samaritans built a temple in Samaria and the Samaritans claim that the only place of worship is in Samaria. And the Jews in Judah hated them because the only place of worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus used the Samaritan as a man, as an example, because he knew the lawyer is aware that the Samaritans are not neighbors. You know, the priest could have taken the man or the victim into safety by his donkey, but did not. The Levite could have rendered first aid, but did not. Most likely, the Samaritan knows the priest and the Levite passed by, but they did not do anything. He could have argued, the Samaritan, the Samaritan could have argued, these two people, they passed by, did not help. Why should I? But he did not. He had a strong gut-level reaction to the wounded man. Though himself is a Samaritan, not a Jew, he is bound by the same Torah, which tells him that neighbor is countryman or kinsman. Now, because he is traveling in Judah, it is less likely that the victim is a Samaritan. 
Therefore, the victim most likely is not a neighbor. But even so, the Samaritan is the one who acts. He cleanses and softens the wound with oil, disinfects them with wine, then binds them. The Samaritan is the one who pours on the true offering of worship acceptable to God. Oil and wine were used as sacramental elements in temple worship. The term pour is in from the language of worship and had to do with the libations in connection with sacrifices. The Samaritan, though the Samaritan apparently understands true worship, the priest and the Levite did not. The Samaritan acts bravely when he stops in the desert. He acts even more bravely when he carries out the final act of compassion. Now remember, he is traveling in a Jewish territory. And if the victim is a Jew and he is a Samaritan and the Jew sees him bringing the victim to an inn, he could have been accused of robbing and hurting the victim. Therefore, he can be stoned to death. Secondly, if the victim is, if the victim will regain consciousness, he may insult the Samaritan for his kindness. You know why? Because oil and wine were considered forbidden objects if they come from a Samaritan. The Samaritan might well have left the victim at the inn door and fled. But by staying with him, promising him that he's going to return, and therefore there, there can be no anonymity for the Samaritan. Despite all the danger, all the risk, the Samaritan takes the victim to the inn remains overnight, takes care of the victim, and then promise that he's going to come back. He pays all the expenses from his own pocket, leaves the victim provided for. He did everything for the victim. Thus he provides for the man's recovery and enables him to get out of town. What the Samaritan did, the priest could have done and should have done. He compensates even for the action of the robbers. They robbed, deserted, and abandoned. Here comes the Samaritan man, Samaritan man. he pays, took care of the victim, and returned. Then in verse 36 and 37, Jesus asked the lawyer, Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer could not even say the word Samaritan, but instead he said, 
the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The lawyer had asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus rephrased and reversed the question into, To whom must I be a neighbor? In telling the parable, Jesus removed all limits as to who the neighbor is and all limits as to how far his followers must go in serving their neighbors. My friends, if this question was asked to you today, who is your neighbor? What would be your answer? Am I a neighbor to you? Are those poverty-stricken people walking along the streets asking for money our neighbor? You know why? You know what? We sometimes assume that the word neighbor means someone who lives nearby or at least someone we know. But here in the story Jesus teaches that our love for our neighbors should not have barriers. The man from Samaria freely helped the wounded stranger even though that victim was a Jew and he was a Samaritan. You know, many times we choose our neighbor. We help only those that we know. We help only those that we like and reject those we hate. We put boundaries and limitations. We choose neighbors who could give us something in return. Neighbors in the future might give us favor in return. In the beginning of my talk, I said, and I have told you, that parables are not just a story that gives moral and spiritual lessons. It's a story shared by Jesus to the Jews about himself. It is not just a story to illustrate and give moral or spiritual lessons to the audience. But, as, but the story in itself tells about Jesus. He is part of the story. He is the star of the story. He is the major character of the story. He is the Bida, and we are the Contrabida. The priests in the story represents us. Many times, we refuse to go out of our comfort zone like the priests. We don't want to help. We only want to help when convenient. We only help those that we know. We give many reasons from preventing us from helping. We make our schedules for the day and we don't want to break that schedule even 
if someone needs our help. The Levite in the story also represents us. We have that attitude of shanga. Shanga kapatid na hindi tumulong. Ako pa kaya kapit bahay lang. Shanga tatay na ayaw tumulong. Ako pa kaya. That is the attitude of the Levite. If the priest did not help, why should I? Now the Samaritan men in the story represents Jesus. He gave not only money, food, and shelter for us, but He gave His own life for us to live. 2,000 years ago, He gave His life as a ransom for many without expecting anything in return. His, his name is Jesus. A, a king who was a servant all the way to the cross until his resurrection. All that we have to do is to believe and receive him as our personal Savior and Lord by faith. Now that we belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to us. Therefore, Jesus wants us to love him by loving our neighbor. Let us ask Jesus to help us look beyond borders, barriers, colors, and tribes, to see everyone as our neighbor, and to love in generous ways as Jesus has taught us. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, There is no commandment greater than to love God and our neighbor. And it is our responsibility to tell others about Jesus and what Jesus wants us or wants them to do also. And one way we can also, one way we can show our love to our neighbors is sharing to them about the love of Jesus. Telling them that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus showed His intentional love to us by dying on the cross for us so that we may live and enjoy the life that he has given us. Though through his death, through his death on the cross, he has given us eternal life. We are no longer slaves to sin, for we are set free. We are set apart to live for God and his glory. Now the question is, what are we supposed to do in return? for that love of Jesus. To show that intentional love to people around us as well. To those people who could hardly eat three times a day. To those people who are sick. To those people who need financial help and prayers. To those people who are in prison 
and are criticized for not being good citizens. They need Jesus too. That is why they are in jail, because they don't have Jesus in their hearts. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, another, even as I have loved you, that you then love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love for one another. My friends, our country, our country does not need aircraft carriers, guided missiles, jet fighters, attack helicopters, or naval forces, or destroyers. Our country needs Jesus. Many of our Muslim brothers also need Jesus. A testimony was told by a former Lebanese Muslim extremist who gave his life to Jesus. And this is what he said, and I quote, Don't criticize the Muslims. Don't hate them. They need Jesus too. Why are you Christians so selfish? Why don't you want to share your Jesus to them? Jesus loves them too. Yes, I agree with him. In fact, Jesus loves all of us. Therefore, we should share Jesus to them also. That is our mission beyond borders, colors, tribes, and religion. Let me end this sermon by telling you about a wonderful love story. One day, a woman came out of her house and then she saw three old men sitting in, front, in her front yard. She did not recognize them. She said, I don't think I know you, but you must be hungry. Please come in and have something to eat. Is the man of the house home, they asked. No, she replied, he is out. Then we cannot come in, they replied. In the evening, when her husband came home, she told him what had happened. Go tell, go tell them I am home and invite them in. The woman went out and invited the men in. We do not go into a house together, they replied. Why is that? she asked. One of the old men explained, his name is Hope. He said, pointing to one of his friends and said, pointing to another one, he is faith and I am love. Then he added, go in and discuss with your husband which one of us you want in your home. The woman went in and told her husband what was said. Her husband was overjoyed and said, How nice! Since that is the case, 
let us invite hope. Let us let, let him come and fill our home with hope. His wife disagreed. My dear, why don't we invite faith first? Their daughter-in-law was listening from the other corner of the house. She jumped in with her own suggestion. Would it not be better to invite love? Our home will then be filled with love. Let us heed our daughter-in-law's advice, said the husband to his wife. Go out and invite love to be our guests. The woman went out and asked the three old men, Which one of you is love? Please come in and be our guests. Love got up and started walking toward the house. The other two also got up and followed him. Surprised, the lady asked hope and faith, I only invited love. Why are you coming in? The old man replied together, If you had invited hope or faith, the other two of us would have stayed out. But since you invited love, wherever he goes, we go with him. Wherever there is love, there is also hope and faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of this is love. My friends, let us learn to love our neighbors beyond barriers, regardless of color, race, and religion. And the greatest way that we can show our love for God is by sharing Jesus to our neighbors. That is our mission to fulfill the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank thee, O God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us once again to love God and our neighbors. And our neighbors are not just our neighbors who live next door, but our neighbors are all people around us beyond borders and barriers, colors, religion. Help us, O Lord, to share Jesus to them, to be a blessing to them, and to fulfill your great commission to go beyond, to share Christ to them. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.